pastures fresh he makes me feed beside the living stream he brings my wandering spirit back when i forsake his ways and leads me for his mercy's sake in paths of truth and grace. When I walk through the shades of death, his presence is my stay. One word of his supporting grace drives all my fears away. His hand in sight of all my foes doth still my tables spread. Amen. Thank you for that uh, wonderful song. I appreciate that. What a blessing to my heart that was. And good morning, everyone. And it's great to be at Parkview Baptist Church once again. And uh, thank you for your faithfulness and support for the Gray family uh, over 30 years. I think it's, I've been there 34 years. And I believe I remember this church supporting me before I ever left. So God has uh, blessed 
greatly the work, the labors, the ministry, not because of John Gray, no. John Gray is the most unqualified missionary on the planet right now, uh, but it's because of him. Amen. And you know, you're here this morning because of him. It's nothing in your own. We have nothing within ourselves. It's all because of him. I'm sorry for your clock back there. Um, very interesting. <laughs> I know the bottom still works. It's going back and forth. <laughs> I don't know if any of you drive east to come to church, but uh, sun was coming up this morning and I was driving east. And boy, the sun was very, very bright this morning for those that were driving into it. And even right now, while I'm getting ready to speak to you, I can still see the sun for some reason. All right, so just pray that the sun will leave a bit and uh, everything will be well. Uh, I just came into the U.S. for about a, nearly two weeks, and I came in just to get a review from the doctor. Uh, last year, right after Easter, my wife and I traveled to uh, Lansing, on their way to Lansing just to preach a missions conference at Parker Memorial Baptist Church. And on the way, I started to bleed and hemorrhage on the airplane halfway over the Pacific Ocean. And long story short, by the time I got in, I realized there was difficulties. I was hospitalized. I got as far as Dallas, Texas and still couldn't get to Michigan. I had a, my first operation and uh, in the hospital for many days and it showed that I had a very bad uh, tumor in my bladder. And I got to Lansing finally, and I had three more operations. So after Easter last year, I spent about four months there in Lansing recuperating uh, after the four operations, and uh, I had three cancer treatments as well. And through it all, God, God was good. God blessed. God strengthened me. God, God encouraged me. And, you know, something happened. Many of you have been to the doctor before when the doctor looks at you and says, we got the pathology reports back. You've been there, haven't you? Yeah. And I remember when the doctor told me, he said, John, you have cancer. He told me that at a certain day. I wrote it down. Went through one more operation after that, and when that operation was over, I went through three different cancer treatments there in Lansing. And exactly 40 days later, that same doctor told me, John, pathology reports show there is no cancer. So knowingly, I've had 40 days of cancer. I'm sure it's longer than that, but knowingly, God has put me through 40 days of cancer. Every three months I come back. I came in November and I came now and my bladder shows fine. I mean, the doctor takes a video of the inside of my bladder. I, you know, I could think of better things to take videos of. <laughs> but that's what he does. And this last time he's, he's looking at it and he says, John, your bladder's beautiful. I thought I never knew a bladder could be beautiful. 
He said, your scar is lovely. I never knew a scar could be lovely inside the bladder, but it is. And I'm thankful that God has helped me through this difficulty in my life. And uh, I'll be back again, Lord willing, in the month of June. And I want you to pray that uh, all will continue to be well and trust in God for his strength and for his healing. Sorry, my wife is not here. She is in Papua New Guinea, and I've been telling people someone had to stay home and work. All right, so I came, and she stayed, and she's the principal of our Christian school and involved in a lot of the other ministries uh, of um, all that we do there in Papua New Guinea, and so she remained and continued to pray for her for strength. She has a few physical troubles as well that just recently has popped up, so we're trying to seek some medical attention and some advice concerning that. So pray for Melissa that God would strengthen her. Man, the Lord is doing some tremendous things. And this year is a special year, the year 2020. We have a theme of perfect vision, 2020. John chapter 20, verse number 20. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And God burdened my heart to do many things in this wonderful special year and a brand new decade that we came into. And one thing God did burden my heart to do is to build nine church buildings. Now, normal missionaries, I say normal, I'm just whatever your definition is, you can, that's fine. Normal missionaries build one church at a time or one church building at a time. But for some reason, God burdened my heart to build nine. These are nine churches in very, very remote places. There are no roads to these places. There are no rivers to these places. It's only accessible by helicopter. There are no landing strips. There's nothing. And many years ago, God used some of our students, Bible Institute students that graduated there with me, have gone out to these areas, these remote places, and altogether, four churches have been started in one area, and far to the west of there, right along the Indonesian border, five churches have been started. I was laying in Lansing after my surgeries and treatments. And you know, you're kind of bedridden sometimes when all this is happening. So I'm laying there in bed and I'm praying and asking God what he would want for the year of 2020. And God burdened my heart. Nine churches, their materials are so inferior. They go out into the bush, into the jungle, and they cut things down. They're the roof for their churches is made of grass woven together. Their walls are, are reeds that are woven together. And holding up the churches are, are mangrove posts or other types of posts. But they rot about every two years. The roof has to repla be replaced every year. The walls start to mold and smell. And they have to rip them out. And every six months they're replacing something in their buildings. And God said, put permanent buildings in those areas. And I want to say God is blessed greatly. Just within six weeks of the time that I told God I would build those churches, we had four sawmills flying by helicopter 
to these remote places. They started to cut and cut and cut, go out into the bush, cut down trees. And uh, I sent someone as well that knew about the, the uh, sawmills and they started cutting and cutting and cutting four different sawmills going at the very same time to cut all the timber that is needed. And I said, God, we need to put a permanent roof on these buildings, on these timber churches. And we have roofing iron that we have uh, tin sheets that we buy there. And I said, we need to have iron posts, not ones that are going to rot, but iron posts. And so we started buying the roofs. We started buying the posts and the screws and the nails and everything else. And God brought in money for us to buy the supplies for all nine of those churches. Thank God for And it's just a short period of time. You know, it's something... When you try to do, get God to do something and you're kind of pushing God and pushing people and pushing churches, but I didn't push. I just asked God to supply the need and God supplied the need. I have paid 32,000 US dollars to two different helicopter companies the last month of my life. And that's kind of hard to do. I don't know about you, preacher, but, you know, writing out checks for, uh, I don't like to write out money like that. But anyway, God has opened tremendous doors, and materials have to be flown by chopper. So I go to the hardware store, is what I do, and I purchase everything that needs to be bought for one church. Then it's all bundled together, and then it's transported over to where the helicopter would be, and then the helicopter figures out what needs to be done, and they load up everything, and they hook nets and ropes and whatever they do, sometimes more than one trip, and they take off and they fly to these very, very remote places. These are places you'll never get to. Some of them I'll never get to. Do you understand? I live in a remote place, a little place called Kerema, K-E-R-E-M-A, and it's remote. It's a little mangrove swamp along the Coral Sea in the Gulf province of Papua New Guinea. But these churches are very, very remote. Now, just let me tell you a little bit about this. Again, we're still working on it. We're still getting things paid for. We're still getting things shipped. They're still cutting. Big prayer request is two sawmills went down. I don't know how far they went down, but I've got to fly them out. So I want you to pray for that. It's very expensive to fly those sawmills to the city. Plus they have to be repaired. Plus I have to fly them all the way back so they can continue. Years ago, where five of those churches are located, I went. And it was not purpose. I did not go on purpose to this place. I was flying into a place where I was going to preach, and I had to take a helicopter from, the land, from where I landed in an airplane, and then a chopper was going to take me over several mountain ranges to preach in a small little village that just had a, their first year anniversary of an independent Baptist church. And so I jumped in this helicopter, and we are flying, and in the midst of the flight... The wind got strong, the clouds got dark, the rain started falling. I don't know if we have any helicopter pilots here, but they don't like weather like that. You know, we couldn't see a thing. And that chopper kept find, trying to find a place to land, finding a place to land. And he finally found a clearing 
And he landed that chopper until the storm passed by. No, I'm not going to sing the song. All right. <laughs> and so we landed, and he shut off the rotors, and I got out. And I am in a place where there is a man who is, who is going to later come to my Bible Institute. His name is John, just like my name. I didn't know him at the time. But I'm in John's place, his village, and I'm standing there. And about where that clock is right there, whatever time it would be, I don't know, but where that clock is right there is the Indonesian border. We landed this side of that border, still in Papua New Guinea. And I'm standing there, and I'm looking through the fence into Indonesia. I said, God... There are people who need the gospel here. There are people who need the gospel across that border. See, across that border is the largest Muslim population in the world. You thought it was Dearborn Heights, but it's not. It's right across through that fence that I was looking at. And I stood there while we were waiting for the weather to get better. The rain stopped, but the clouds were still low. And I gathered all those people from that village, and I stood up there, and I said, I'm going to preach to you. And I preached on this thought, Jesu Christo Enerarisibona Esadoriam Ocardikado Iorisiri. I was just watching her fingers to see what she was going to do. <laughs> now that she pulls her fingers out, only the blood of Jesus Christ can wash away your sin. I preached there, right after that storm, I preached that message to those people. And I said, God, do something here. Do you know that was 24 years ago? And five of those churches that I just told you about are right there. Five of those churches. I want you to know something. You have had a part in those churches. Do you know what's happening right now? Is that the one church, well, really two of them, but especially one, is so close to that border. Saturday night, the people of Indonesia, like a dog, they dig under their fence in the darkness. And they run all the way over to the Baptist church. And they go in and they hide. And the sun comes up, they get up, the people come to church that are from Papua New Guinea, they look like them, act like them, just about talk like them, the skin color is just the same, and they have a service there, and when Sunday night comes and the darkness comes again, like a dog, they go back underneath their fence, back into the country of Irianjaya, which is part of Indonesia. Remarkable. We have seen 40 adult 40 adults from Indonesia saved the last two years. 40. Do you know if they're caught going under that fence, they're shot, killed, no questions asked. And now we have one man who's in that church. He told me the other day, God has burdened my heart to go back under the fence with them. 
to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the largest Muslim population in the world. Oh, God has done great and tremendous things. Pray for this project. In 2020, we want to get nine permanent buildings up. Right now, there are no permanent buildings up, but many materials are on site, and many of the timbers have already been cut, and so much of the logistics have been all worked out. It's just that putting everything together is the main concern that we have. Pray for God's grace. Pray for strength. Pray for God's blessing to be upon it. Pray for needs to be supplied. And we're grateful for your support, your help, your prayers, and all that you do for the Gray family. It's a blessing to come home occasionally and see many of our churches again. You know, it's great seeing familiar faces. Some of you, you look the same, just like I do. All right. Others, you've lost a little bit on top or, you know, added a little bit of something below or whatever. But uh, good to see so many familiar faces. That is a great encouragement to missionaries. But, you know, it's also good to see new faces. And that's also a wonderful encouragement to your missionaries when they come home. So thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your prayers. Continue to pray for souls. Where I live, God is blessing in the ministry and the work there. The very first church we started is right there. And we have a Christian school that's 20 years old this year. So pray for them. They have several projects they would like to do this year. And you know the great thing about it? Our Christian school supports missionaries. Not only do our churches support missionaries, not only do I support missionaries, not only do I give that missionaries can go through my local church in Lansing, but our Christian school decided when it started, we've got to get into this too, we also. So we have small, little, tiny boys and girls bringing offerings every single day to school. And they, they send thousands out every single year. They, they pick three missionaries. Some of them are national. Some of them are, are, are from the U.S. like I am. Some of them are national pastors. Some are in different countries. Some are in Papua New Guinea. But they pick three of them every year. And they give and give and give and give and give. They do it in a competition. You know, like sometimes we have boys against girls or men against ladies. Well, we have each classroom, each learning center is against. We have three of them. And so we have a fight. I'm it's not a competition. It's a fight. I mean, they'll steal one another's money just so that they can have a better offering. They want to give more to their missionary than this group gives to theirs. You know, the primary division, they'll fight with the elementary division over this money. And sometimes brothers and sisters are in two different classrooms. Boy, it's like World War III at home collecting money. But they have done a tremendous, tremendous uh, deed unto the Lord, and God has blessed our Christian school greatly. It's a very small Christian school, the only one and the first one in our entire province. But God has let us graduate a handful, and God has sent them. Right now, they're in seven different countries of the world. Many of them went on to universities in Australia, Singapore, the Philippines, United States, Many places, and God is blessed. I have graduates who are doctors, who are surgeons, who are lawyers. 
I just can't believe what God has done in a tiny little swamp. And we got several that have been called to preach. My wife, I got up, or my wife, I got up this morning and talked with my wife, and my wife was able to lead uh, two people to the Lord in church yesterday. That was Sunday, our time. And one of them was one of our brand new school students. First year to be in school and just still getting used to everything. And he came to my wife right after Sunday school and she said, Hello, Joseph, how are you? And he says, I'm not all right. I need to be saved. Amen. And then another young lady, after the church service was over, came to my wife. I've not been saved. My family thinks I am, especially my mother. But no longer can I hide I want to know what salvation is all about. What a blessing. What a blessing that is. Thank you for your prayers again. Thank you for your support. And thank you for all that you've done. And just continue to pray that God will bless the work, the labors of uh, our ministry called Reaching the Gulf in uh, the Gulf province of Papua New Guinea. And again, a blessing to be with you this day. Matthew chapter number 9. Open your Bible if you would. Matthew chapter number 9. And don't worry about the clock because I never learned how to tell time anyway. Matthew chapter number 9. We're going to look at a very familiar passage of Scripture here for the next few minutes. Verse number 35 of the Gospel of Matthew chapter number 9. The Bible says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of every kingdom and healing every sickness of every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore to the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Let's pray this morning. Our Father, thank you for your love and thank you for victory that we have in Christ. Bless these dear people this day, and I pray that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, there may be someone here without the Savior. Convict them, Lord, this morning and show them their need of a Savior. Encourage our hearts and let us be thankful for all that you've done for us. Thank you. For this time, blessed I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I'd like to look at some default settings. I call this default settings of missions. Now, you know, anytime you buy something like a telephone or some other electronic object that you would hold in your hand or use in your office or use in the car or use wherever, uh, a lot of times we like to add to things that we have. We like to change things that we have. And sometimes we end up bogging down maybe an electronic device that we're trying to use. And it's our fault, isn't it? Yeah. And everything gets piled in there, piled in there, piled in there until it's like, you know, you're pushing a wheelbarrow that has about 16 bags of cement in it. You know, you can't move very fast. But you know what? Many devices, somewhere hidden in the settings or somewhere that describes what is happening within that device, you may find a place where you can tap, swipe, shake, whatever, that will take you all the way back 
to the original default settings. Maybe you've had to do that before on a device, or maybe that's your line of work and you do things like that. Well, missions also has some default settings. And you know what? I think many times we get away from what we need to be doing because of everything that we add, everything that we see, everything that we hear, it's like an, a, a device that is being overloaded with a lot of what I would call peripherals, extra things that we just do not need. So let's just hit that default setting. Let's go back to the basics. And very quickly, let's look at the default settings of missions. Number one, we've got to pray. You saw in chapter number nine, the conduct of men, men are lost. The condition of the field, it's ripe, but there are no laborers. What's the cure of the harvest? Money. Are you kidding? Talent. No. Ability. No. What does he say? Pray. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. Friends, we've got to get back to praying. We need to start praying for our missionaries. It's a wonderful thing that you are faithful in support. It's wonderful that you will continue to give. And I'm not here really to tell you how to do that. You, underneath the leadership of your pastor and the leaders of this church, that is their responsibility. But you know what? We've got to get back to praying. We got to get back to praying. Do you know what happens when we don't? You know the verses, effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know the verses of prayer that are located all throughout the Bible. You know the Bible says, hey, God forbid that I should sin and ceasing to pray for you. What happens when prayerlessness is attached to our life? You could call it the granddaddy of all of our sins, by the way. Prayerlessness. What happens? Very quickly, it'll cramp God. It holds back God's storehouse. When we do not pray, my friend, we put a combination lock on the windows of heaven. We've got to pray. Secondly, it curtails God. It holds back God's work. If my people, you know the verse, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. That's a lot of ifs, is it? You know that? But inside all those ifs, is praying. Praying. Thirdly, it confines God. Prayerlessness can hold back the power of God. It, it conceals God. It, it can hold back the very will of God. It concerns God because it can hold back the blessings of God. 
Oh, my friend, I'm telling you what, we have drifted from prayer. Now, I counsel people in Papua New Guinea, but not many as you think I would, all right? They, they're not prone to come to John Gray and ask for advice and counsel. When I travel to Australia, which is several times each year to preach, I, I get people that want to, to get counsel, whether it's a man and a wife or whether it's a family or whether it's a preacher or a pastor or whatever. And I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it because in Papua New Guinea, they hide from me many times and they do not seek counsel. But Pastor, Pastor Brown, for the last 34 years in Papua New Guinea, every time I counsel someone, the very first thing that comes out of my mouth, tell me about your prayer life. That's the first thing. And you know what? Sometimes we don't go any farther. It's a default setting. We need people to pray for the missionary. We need people to pray for the needs of the missionaries. We need, to pray, need people that will pray for the safety of our missionaries. We need uh, people that will, will search it out and see what the exact needs are and bring them before the Lord. We need people on their knees right here in the United States of America pleading the blood of Jesus Christ against the powers of wickedness that could destroy your missionaries. Destroying your missionaries also takes away from your fruit, does it not? Yes, it does. Paul says, not that I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. The first default setting is to pray. I ask you, how is your praying? How is your prayer life? Is that sin of prayerlessness attached to you? Have you prayed for your missionaries that God would bless and strengthen them? Oh, I like the prayer of Jabez, and I've got to get on here. I don't know what the clock is saying, but it's saying something to me, I'm sure. I like the prayer of Jabez. There in the book of Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter number 4. And when he prayed, he asked God to bless me indeed, is what he said. That's how you can pray for your missionaries, that God would bless them. He prayed that God would enlarge his coast. We need an enlarged coast, an enlarged vision, a bigger vision for the work of Christ. He prayed that the God's hand would be with him. He prayed that God would keep him from evil. And he prayed that God would keep him from grief. We need to pray. We've got to pray. Number two, the second default setting, we've got to give. And again, it's not my job to tell you how to give. It's my job really to say thank you for your giving. But you know how we do give? And there's many verses throughout our Bible concerning this. We need to give personally. We need to give presently. That means now. We need to give pleasantly. Like God loves the cheerful giver. Yeah. We need to give plentifully so the needs can be met. We need to give progressively. It's got to be faithful and consistent. We need to give purposely. 
We don't just throw it like seed and hope the garden grows. No, there's a purpose for our giving. But the great thing about giving is that we give proportionally. When you give what God wants you to give, and I give what God wants me to give, we're given equal, are we not? It's just like the tithe, is it not? We give our tithe every Sunday. Your tithe doesn't match my tithe. But in God's eyes, it does, does it not? Yes, it does. We've got to pray. We've got to give. Thank you for your giving. I honor you for your giving. I salute you for your giving. Don't stop. Don't ever stop your giving. The third default setting, we've got to believe. Hey, that's faith. Substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know, faith is like your down payment for your wants and desires and the wishes that you have and the dreams that you would like to see accomplished. Several things. Faith accepts God's word. Always. Faith, number two, wins God's approval. Faith, number three, recognizes God's power. We got to believe in God. We've got to believe that He is able. We have to believe that He can furnish a table in the wilderness. Yes, I believe you are able. Faith. Faith. I don't know why it's so hard. Just to believe. You know, some people don't even believe God knows what's going on in their lives. Do you know that in this day that we live in, you can't lose anything because everything can be tracked. If you lose your telephone, you just go to your wife's and guess what? You'll find it. You wouldn't believe how many people smiled when I just said that. Anyway... <laughs> I have a vehicle in Papua New Guinea. We have uh, one road that goes between the capital city and my place. We didn't have that years ago, but they did put a road in. And it's a religious road. It beats the devil out of you. <laughs> <sighs> the doctor told me not to drive it because of my bladder surgery, and so I thanked him very much for that. And I have to fly when I go into my place. I have an airstrip right in front of my church, pretty close. But I do have a vehicle, four-wheel drive vehicle, and because I was driving the highway the last several years, and because sometimes my precious wife is also in that vehicle, and because the road is very dangerous and there's a lot of bad people along the way, I decided that I better put a tracking unit in there, GPS unit, and I went to a security company and they installed that, and they track my car everywhere it goes. They know how fast I'm driving as well, by the way. They know when my car is coming, when my car is going, when my car is sitting. And every month I pay these people to look after the positioning of my car and where it's at. And if I'm ever in trouble, they even put a little button in there. I've never pressed it before. But if I press it, then all of a sudden all the lights and the bells sound, the lights blink and whatever. They know that John Gray's in trouble and they try to get police and security people to head out to where the location is. Do you see, you can't, you can't lose anything. Some people lose their keys and they 
clap their hands and the keys start to sing or whatever. Oh. We even have smart callers that go on our dogs, do we not? You've seen them. Maybe you have them. Maybe you ladies have one on your husband. I don't know, but we have these callers that, hey, you can take your mobile device and you can track your dog. You know where your dog is. You know everything about the dog. How come we don't think God knows anything about us? He knows the position we're in. He knows the trial we face. He knows everything before it even came. How come we don't believe him? We don't trust him? Oh, we need to believe. We need to have a strong faith to continue in the work of Christ and be faithful to him. These are default settings of missions. We've got to pray. Number two, we've got to give. Number three, we've got to believe. Number four, we've got to go. We have a generation that is growing up. Don't be, I don't mean to be hurtful. They're afraid of taking the first step. I'm being honest. There's something different about a generation that is growing up. All generations before that, we've seen people not afraid to take that step of sacrifice, to take that step of surrender, and to go where God wants them to go, and to be what God wants them to be. But it seems like all of a sudden, we've got different type of thinking, different type of young people, different type of philosophies, even different types of theology. Where are those young people that need to go? And I was just turned 25 years old, or was going to turn 25 years old, and I left for Papua New Guinea. And I remember those days when I was young and full of life, not as heavy, strong muscles. I mean, I remember walking up those mountains. I went to the Gulf Province. For the, I lived in the capital city. I flew to the Gulf Province in 1989 for my very first time. And then 1990, I moved into the Gulf Province, in fact. I went to the Gulf Province, and I wanted to take a trip to the mountains. And I was going to take a three- to four-week trip and go from one side of the mountains all the way to the next side. You wouldn't believe what happened on that trip. Unusual. Maybe you want to hear about it. Maybe real quick, I'll tell you. I went to the first place, and they thought I was the Antichrist. They did. The Catholic Church in our place where I was living in Karama told the people up in the mountains because they knew I was flying that day. They said, the Antichrist is coming. It was a little tiny place called Kaintiba. And in this little village of Kaintiba, a little government station, the Catholics were all keyed up because they knew the Antichrist was coming. So on that morning, they put all mud all over them and all the stuff and 
covered dust all over their head and got their bow and arrows and their spears and anything else, the bush knife, grass, or whatever they could find, anything that was sharp. And when the plane landed, I was the only passenger. And the pilot, he saw all those people running out there carrying those spears. And he said, I'm going to get you out of here. And I said, oh, don't worry about that. I don't think they, they mean that for me. I think there's something else must be going on. I have Bibles. I have tracks. I need to talk to these people about the Lord. You just land and drop me off. He landed. He only shut off one engine. He kicked me out, threw my stuff out, shut the door, turned on the other engine, and zoom, he was gone. Those people surrounded me. And they're chanting and they're singing and they're, they're yelling and I don't know what in the world was going on. And finally, the spokesman came out. He had leaves on the back and a suit coat on the front and he had a little badge right here. <laughs> I'm serious. And he said, you, Antichrist. Me, Antichrist. Yeah, you, Antichrist. Say, why did you go to a place like that where their thinking is simple and they believe everything the priest tells them and they're just against the gospel? I went there because they're souls that need to be saved. And after I convinced them that I wasn't the Antichrist, I had a box of Bibles I wanted to give them. And after everyone was a bit calmed down, I said, don't touch that box. It's alive. And all of a sudden, they're backing away. And they're getting their, their, and their, their spirits. And they, there's something in that box. And I said, shh, don't touch it. It's alive. Long story short, I went and opened it up and held the word of God and preached to them right there on the airstrip. And they laughed and they cried and they thought that was good. Fifteen people in that trip trusted Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. And God later sent a missionary to those people. He's there right now preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, starting churches for His honor and for His glory. I went to the next place. I had to go all the way down this big mountain across this roaring river and all the way back up the other mountain. They didn't think I was the Antichrist. They thought I was the United States president. They have a, some thinking, some superstition about, uh, uh, you know, some big man like that was going to come. Because I had white skin, I fit all the details, I guess. And so they thought I was the president of the United States. Anyway, got the gospel out. I shouldn't probably tell you the third place I went to. They thought I was someone else as well. This place was deep, deep in the jungle. And I walked there with several guys from the last place. Who, and they were walking with me because I was the president of the United States. And when we got to this place, the ladies are looking at me. And they're screaming. And they're hollering. And they're running away. I don't know what they're saying. I don't know that language. We have 800 languages there. I don't know what they were saying. They were saying, blah, 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 blah Elvis. Blah, 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 Elvis. <laughs> Soon left all those hound dogs, and I went back to home again. <laughs> How come we don't go anymore? How come we're not seeing people come down here to the front and surrendering their life to Jesus Christ? Is it God doesn't call anymore? No! We're not answering the call. You realize if God is calling you to go, 
If you say no, you're demanding the blood of thousands of sinners upon your hands. Do you realize you're disputing the sovereignty of the of the doubting the sovereignty of God, you're disputing the integrity of the Great Commission, you demoralizing your life and your family at the expense of your pride, you destruct the faith that you once had, you decline the fruit that you could bear, you dance with the will of the devil, and you denounce the victories that Christ could give, and you're damning the world to hell, and you deliberately are putting yourself on a shelf of un. Worthy vessels. We need to go. Look on the fields. For they are white. All ready to harvest. We need to pray. We need to give. We need to believe. We need to go. Three more and we're done. We need to look. My eye affects my heart, does it not? We need to see the lost. We need to enlarge our vision. We need to ask God to open up our eyes that we may see the lost souls of this world. You can start by going out the doors of this church. In the area that you live in, in the area that this church is in, you can start knocking on those doors. Guess what? You're going to see. I went visiting yesterday with my brother-in-law, uh, Pastor Jim Green, Park Memorial Baptist Church. And you know what? All of our visits took us to the bad part of town. But I was so glad. One door I wanted to knock on, it didn't even have a handle on it. The door was partly open. The sun, the rain, the snow has caused the plywood of that door to, to, to curl right up. I could smell the stench of people that live there and don't have proper sewage and don't have proper... I was glad that I went and, there, and I saw with my eyes there were some people that were needing help. Guess what? When my eyes focus on those people, I see that there is a need. God burdens my heart. We need to ask God to open our eyes. Just like the lost, to open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith. That is in me. We've got to pray, give, believe, go. We've got to look. Next, we've got to encourage. Wow. Like I told you, encouragement for me is coming back to a supporting church and seeing so many familiar faces. Encourage. We need to encourage one another in faithfulness. Do you understand? We need to encourage one another in our giving to missions. We need to encourage one another in our soul winning and activities. We need to encourage our missionaries by our praying, by our visiting. Uh-oh. Do you know if you took a missions trip, and some of you may have, I understand, it'll change your life. It will change your life. 
We have a Christian school. As I told you, my wife is the principal. And in our Christian school, sometimes we bring some teachers to come in from the United States. Most of the time, they stay about one year. But you know what? In that one year, God shows them things they've never seen before. God changes them, turns them into his servant. Many times our teachers have gone back and I've received notes from their families, their parents. What did you do to my daughter? What did you do to my son? I hear them at night weeping for family members that are lost. When the church calls for visitation, they're the first one there. When it's time to give, they are the first one to put it in the offering plate. Tell you what I did. I let them see. Encouragement. When's the last time you encouraged someone in the Lord? Friend, we're not against one another. We're like a team, are we not? Yes. There's a joint venture, a partnership between this church and this missionary. We need to work together. We need to labor together. But to do that, we need to encourage one another to be strong, faithful, obedient, and loving. We need to pray, give, believe, Go, look, encourage. Lastly, we need to love. We need to love. I don't know why we live in a, a generation. Well, I know why we live in a generation that, that we live in, and we don't feel many times a lot of love. Because we're dictated to by the things of this world. The freaks of nature that run our music industries that appear on our televisions and videos. These people have taken over the social media as well and they set the standard, don't they? They set a standard and everyone follows what that standard is. How disastrous that is. I like the Good Samaritan there in Luke chapter number 10. We have so many diversions in our life, we can't love anymore. There's something else that happens too with uh, our electronics this day. I call it digital desensitization. We become numb. We no longer can show sympathy. We no longer can show empathy. We no longer can love. We no longer can encourage. In fact, some people can't even carry on a conversation more than two minutes without getting sidetracked. It's a shame. That good Samaritan, you know what he did? He realized something that he, first of all, was taking a gamble when he showed his love. Do you understand that you are gambling when you show love to anyone? Can you imagine that good Samaritan? Did, did, didn't, didn't some of the priestly people walk by that man that was injured on that road? Yes. Just 
walked by. And that good Samaritan got off his animal. That good Samaritan got all the supplies he needed. That good Samaritan kneeled down and said, please sign this form right here telling me that if I help you, you're going to love me. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He was taking a gamble, was he not? You need to understand something. If you're going to love your neighbor, if you're going to love souls, there's a gamble involved. You may not get any love back. You can't love without taking a risk. Secondly, you can't love without putting forth effort. It takes work to love. It's not just some automatic something that comes out of you. It takes work. Thirdly, you've got to surrender some of your comfort if you're really going to love. You've got to give up. The man, the good Samaritan, he gave up. He even gave up his animal. He gave up his, his, his oils and things that he, he used to wrap the wounds. He was sacrificing and giving up, surrendering his own comfort. You can't love without a cost. It's going to cost you something, is it not? And you cannot love without commitment. Commitment. Well, let's look at the opposite and then we'll be done. Have you ever not been loved? Maybe we ought to go that direction. I started a church years ago uh, after the first church, second church, maybe third church. I don't know what it was, but we went and uh, went to the west by boat about an hour, 15 minutes to a group of villages called Opau, O-P-A-U. And it was there that I started, was desirous of starting another church. And you know the thing about that place is that everybody hated me? They did. There was not a single person that liked me. That's hard. I'm telling you. It is hard to minister and try to start something for the Lord when every single person hates you. I went there with instant hatred. Except one little girl. Her name was Navara. N-A-V-A-R-A. Navara. She was about four years old. And every time my boat came to this village... She ran down to the water to meet me. She grabbed a hold of my hand, and hand in hand, Navara and I would walk together to the little house that I was going to be staying at. And she would sit right there on the steps of the house waiting for me. She'd sit there all day. I would come out of the house and I need to go into the village and talk to some people. Navara would hold my hand. You know what? She talked to me and talked to me and talked to me nonstop. I never knew a word she said. I don't know that language. I know a language farther to the east, but no, 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 I don't know that language at all. Just a few words here and there. She would talk to me just like I understood everything. 
She would squeeze my hand and hold it tight. I just kept agreeing to everything she said. <laughs> she must have, I don't know, maybe she wants me to give her a million dollars. I don't know what she was saying, but we were just walking hand in hand. And guess what? That was the only person who loved me. We would sit down and have something to eat, and she just loved my skin. You know? And she would just go like this on my cheek. I would go like this on her cheek. <laughs> And you know what? We were beginning a new work, a new ministry. She was my number one encourager. She loved me. Even when some of the men of the village would come and see me, and they would want to sit down, and they're arguing and they're fighting. She would be sitting right there smiling, big smile, holding my hand, rubbing my cheek. Went back to where I live in Karama, and I was coming back to the village at the weekend, and I believe it was a Saturday, and my boat's coming up the water, and all of a sudden I noticed something in the village. All the trees along the river are cut down. And it's very strange and very odd, and so I get farther into the village where all the houses are, and I notice that flowers that were planted were all plucked up. And as I got very close, I could hear the cry, the wailing of death. And all of a sudden, my heart started beating like a jackhammer. And I said, God, it can't be Navara. She's the only one who loves me. And I pulled my boat up, which is very close to the house Navara lived in. And that precious little girl passed away in the night. They took a mat and they laid it on the floor. And they, they laid her down and they were weeping and crying. And they, some were cutting themselves until they were bleeding. And they were just shedding their tears over this little girl that passed away. My heart was broken. I walked up the steps to that house. I went in there. I cried until no tears could come out again. I cried myself completely dry. I hurt so bad from crying. I knelt down that precious little girl and I rubbed her face. But nobody rubbed mine. I said, God, the only one who loves me is God. I went in a corner and I just sat there while I'm listening to everything happening. God spoke to my heart. He said, John, I love you. I still love you. Navarre is gone. But John, I still love you. There's a work to be done. We took a canoe, a wooden canoe that's dug out of a tree. I took my chainsaw and I made a coffin out of it. <laughs> 
with her father. I took the very best material I could find in that little house I was staying and we took a staple gun and stapled it inside. I took the pillow from my bed and I put it in there. I put Navarra on top. And I rubbed her cheek for the last time. We enclosed that. Took her to the place of burial. After they did some their customary things they do and the body is not buried for so many days and just a lot of things that we really don't need to concern you about. But several days later, I preached her funeral. And 15 people trusted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior in a funeral service. God opened the door to begin a church for his honor and for his glory. Default settings? Oh, friend, let's get back to them. Let's let God do great and mighty things. As you sung this morning, He's coming. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be, He's coming! Maybe you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. Maybe you're trying to fool everyone. You're not fooling God. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With mouth confession is made unto salvation. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Let God work upon your heart this morning. Maybe you need to talk to him. Maybe you need to come and pray. Maybe you want to start praying for missions once again. Maybe God's burdened your heart about someone else. Maybe there's a lost soul you need to reach. Maybe there's someone at work, at school, and you want to talk to them about the Lord. Present their name this morning here at the altar, trusting God that he would make you the witness you need to be. Maybe you're here and you need to go. Maybe you need to surrender. Maybe there's a difficulty in your giving, in your loving, in your encouraging. Trust the Lord here as we meet together. Thank you for your greatness. All that you do for the work of Christ in missions. God bless you. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.